0: What is going on, everybody? We have a very, very special guest today, Kimberly Lewis, one of the all-time best resellers, in my opinion. She runs um, uh, Motivational Muse, and she is a CEO of Goodwill of East Texas. Welcome, Kimberly.
1: Hi, Ty.
0: It's great to be here. Definitely, definitely. So um, I'll kind of give the background of you that I've read online um, uh, about you. And if there's anything you want to add in, uh, be more than helpful. So uh, Kimberly, she is a master life coach, as well as an author, speaker, consultant, and frequent contributor of Forbes magazine um, for the Forbes nonprofit council. Along with other highly uh, regarded publications, she also holds a mas- uh, bachelor's and master's degree, along with certified executive through Goodwill Industries. She has also wrote and written two historical novels, The Fourth Generation, and Take a Seat at the Table or a Part of the meal. So highly regarded. So let's kind of go um, give everybody a background about you. So uh, how long have you been working with uh, Goodwill and what is Motivational Muse?
1: Okay, great. Well, I've been a Goodwill CEO for 18 years. And i led uh, two Goodwills, one in West Virginia and the one that I run now in East Texas. So a long, long time. Uh, About um, a year ago uh, at the April of 2019, I launched Motivational Muse. And Motivational Muse is a private consulting firm in which i provide executive coaching as well as consultations to businesses and not-for-profits um, i offer public speaking and do a variety of webinars and um, trainings for organizations
0: definitely and you also run that a podcast you've been posting a lot on correct
1: yes yes i have a motivational news podcast and it's just you know little little um maybe about five to seven minutes of motivational stories, uh, that I have just written over my lifetime and just, you know, to encourage other people to live their best lives and to do what they can, um, to make their actual life match their dream board life.
0: I like it. You talk about your dream board life. So I just listened to your podcast, write your vision and make a plan. What is your vision board?
1: Oh, my goodness. My vision board really is a combination of things. This kind of has two different sides. And so my vision board today looks differently than it did say 10 years ago. But today, my vision board is a combination of my not-for-profit work and my community work and making that the best that it can be along with the lifestyle that I want to live. Because, you know, we're holistic beings And so it's hard to kind of divide those two things. So I'm really helping individuals to bring their vocation together with their invocation on all levels. So that is how you live, where you live, um, travel, you know, uh, eating, your, your hobbies, your artistic endeavors, your writing, your singing, whatever you want to do, and how you want to just be your best self in your environment, in your community. You know, it's a wonderful time. This is a time in which, you know, we've all seen uh, the blessings of being in a virtual uh, reality, if you will. And so you can live anywhere and do anything wherever you are. You just have to find the right path to get you
0: there. I love I love it. What's one perfect, what's the biggest advice you can give somebody, one of our listeners, in terms of uh, helping them like propel their life forward?
1: you know, to prevail your life forward, I think you really need to get your mind right. Mm -hmm. You know, just get a a better mindset of exactly what you want to do and where you want to go and begin to visualize those things, not visualize, you know, here are all the problems and all the obstacles that I have, but here's where I want to go. So it's that reverse engineering mindset. Think of where you want to be and then reverse think that thing and reverse back step it to where you are now, so that you have a clearer path.
0: I, I love it. I love it. Um, so, how are you bringing that um, entrepreneurial spirit to Goodwill? So having having motivational music it is a startup. I know it's about a year and about a half old. How are you bringing that mentality? Because it is a different mentality than the corporate world.
1: It really is. You know, um, I am a coach at heart and so really for me just working with my staff and coaching them through and coaching them to their next step and their next levels and we get together and brainstorm and then i coach them to uh you know we look at what is that that end product look like and what are what are the strengths that we bring to the team so i manage from a level of strengths as opposed to weaknesses you know when we get a an evaluation or when we were in school and we got our homework It didn't matter how many A's we got on that report card, we would go and narrow in right on that lowest grade, whether it was a B or a C or a D or an F. But let's flip that script a little bit and let's look at what we really do well and capitalize on those things. And so I use that in my work with Goodwill, in my work with my staff so that we can build ourselves to that level that we want to be, as well as my clients doing motivational news.
0: Love it! I love it. Now, I, I, that's the one thing I am personally working on as well. Is like how to be a better coach because as as a top dog in a, in an organization, it's not. Uh, you probably know this better than I do for sure. Uh, being a boss and being a coach are different things for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. But you know, because there are times when you know, there's always a transitional period. Mm-hmm. When you know you're in there and you know you've got both elbows out and you're working as hard as you can along with your staff, because they may not have the expertise yet. Mm. So that's when you're coaching and you're coaching but you also have to know when to remove that hand and just let them soar. So that's really a fine line, and it really entails building a relationship with your staff so that when they are ready to soar or when they kind of take a little slip back because life happens. Um, and you might need to step in and say, okay, let's let's kind of gather ourselves back together. You have to have that kind of relationship with them so that you recognize when they're really soaring or you recognize what their true talents are. Because you may hire them to do one thing and then you recognize, well, oh, they're, they're really better at this, or they have a strength in this area. And you can pivot them so that they don't burn out um, and they'll bring their, their best selves and, and their best ideas to work
0: talked about kind of having your elbows out, being in the kind of the trenches, right? When, is there a moment when you, when you should know you should be taking yourself out? Because I know a lot of our listeners, especially, um, we have probably about 50% of them are in that uh, sole entrepreneur stage. And we have about 50% on that larger entrepreneur stage, if not uh, executives. What time should you be able to take a step back? Is there any sort of uh, um, hints or, or like uh, any, any defining factor?
1: Well, you know, you, you give your team uh, projects to work on and you see, you know, who is able to step up and navigate without you having to interfere, without you having to jump in and take the ball. And the, the quicker they, because there's no real timeline for it, but mm-hmm. the quicker they can do that, the easier it is and the quicker you can begin to take a step back. Now, if you have individuals who just, just aren't there and they aren't getting it, the hardest thing to do is to let that person go or change what mm. they're doing entirely if if they have a career that is savable, um, And sometimes it, you know, they just don't. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. But again, it's about building that relationship and seeing and being honest, you mm. know, with them. Sometimes we see more in people than they see in themselves. And we want more for them than they want for themselves. Mm. So you really have to be honest with yourself and be honest with them. And give them some deliverables and say, hey, this is what I see you, you being capable of. And I know that you can get there, but you got to know that you can get there. And if they don't match those deliverables in that one month, three month or six month period, you know, then, you know, okay, this is where we have to part ways or we have to change directions.
0: Oh, I love it. I love that. It's super helpful, especially for some of our listeners. And then we'll jump into like the nonprofit side of things. So um, uh, how uh, would you recommend anything for people looking to jump into the nonprofit world to build their career? Because we do work with a lot of nonprofits um, that are in that uh, even low to medium stage or trying to get that bigger stage, as well as people that aren't in nonprofits that want to become a nonprofit.
1: Mm-hmm. Nonprofits are a wonderful way to really match your heart and your head. Mm-hmm. You know, so you find something that is important to you that you care about, that you have a passion to do. And once you find that connection, then, you know, find exactly what value can you bring to the table. Uh, It's a great way. Now, one thing I want to remind people about is that nonprofits are still businesses. Mm -hmm. They still have a light bill to pay. They have insurance to keep up. They're paying their employees. uh, For the most part, they're operating the same as a business. The only thing that they don't necessarily have to pay is sales tax when they go to purchase products for their operation. But other than that, they have to do everything else just like any other business.
0: Interesting. And then the two Forbes articles you have, I know you're definitely a contributor on that nonprofit Forbes side. First off, uh, Forbes 330 is definitely one of my goals in the near future. So I am jealous of your uh, your Forbes connection. That's awesome. But you talked about in the Forbes article um, corporate sponsors uh, want to return on their investment. Nonprofits should demonstrate uh, the anticipated financial return from the partnership in a quantitative analysis. Kind of, can you dive deeper into that for, especially that nonprofit world?
1: Sure, sure. You know, you want to find the synergy. You know, you don't want to be just the next best thing, or mm-hmm. you know, the, the the twinkling symbol, if you will, um, or the poster, the poster child for an organization. It really needs to be a win, 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 a triple win. So it needs to be a win for the nonprofit. It needs to be a win for the corporation and it needs to be a win for your community or those that you are serving. So make sure that you have a triple win, that it's not just, okay, we're gonna do something that we would not normally do or act in a way that we would not normally act that does not push our mission forward and doesn't push the mission of the corporate uh, partner forward. And as long as you do those two things, you can come together and and do some amazing, amazing projects. Um, I've had the privilege in my life of really building some of those synergies with uh, corporations, and it's been really interesting. They operate differently, but there are a lot of things that are very similar. And so when you come to the table, and it takes a little bit longer sometimes, uh, to build those relationships, but it's all about building those relationships and seeing
0: where your missions can meet. I, I love that. Yeah, so basically stay on your mission and find maybe the people that can help you propel that, correct?
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Don't go You know, too far outside of what you're doing. Make sure that it is going to meet your mission and those uh, individuals or that community that you serve. And if you stay in tune with that, then you're going to be more likely to be successful uh, in the uh, the corporate social responsibility arena.
0: This ties in perfectly with the other uh, Forbes article you had. I'll I'll read it for the um, the audience. Sustainability and scalability are key. I look for two things in any proposed project. Create a pro forma based on a unit cost, providing the service and determining how many units must be funded to pay for the service, fee, uh, retail sales, start small and grow the project to that becomes more sustainable. First off, I love this because this is so startup. This is this is that. This is the entrepreneurial mindset. I love that for uh, that. That hits on the key: how to start small and then grow. And also the title: of this is look for sustainability and scalability as well. Um, and from ten ways nonprofits can develop a self-funding strategy. Let's dive deeper in that. Especially, are you talking about resale? Are you talking about um, other ways to um, uh, gain um, uh, uh, to turn revenue? That's that's super interesting, especially for the listeners.
1: Oh yeah. You know, it's everything. It really is everything. Any type of business model that you have, you want to start small because it is then that you're going to be able to, um, you know, correct any missteps that you have, not overspend. You know, sometimes when we're eager and and we've got a great business idea and we may have the money to do it, we jump in and and we we do everything. And then, oops, we made a misstep with a contract with a warehouse. Uh, and it's going to end up costing you a lot more than you anticipated or oops, we, you know, we didn't cross all of our T's and our I's uh, in terms of a trademark and it's going to cost you some extra time in going back and having to redo that. Um, so you want to make sure that you, you, you write it all down, do that reverse engineering, think of where you want to be first, and then all of the steps to get you there and then start small and, and build on now. Your business may take off and you may build a lot quicker, you know, as as opposed to most businesses, they say it takes, you know, three years before you're fully profitable. Not these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, you can be profitable in six months. You can be profitable in a year because there's so many businesses that require less uh, capital to operate. It just depends on what you're doing, particularly for resellers. In many cases, they're doing it from their homes. You know, they may, they may or may not have a warehouse, they may or may not have a storefront, but in many cases, they're doing it on an e-commerce platform of some kind, or they're doing it from their home. So the outlay of initial cash is very small. So they have the opportunity to really scale it down and then build up as, as time progresses. Now, the sustainability portion of it is really making sure that you have multiple streams of income coming in at all times that and you have streams that are going to be, you know, pretty secure. Their business, you know, in 2020, we, we all had an issue with um, business lines freezing and having product issues, not being able to get product when we needed product, you know, whether it was cleaning surprise or toilet paper or, you know, bedding, you know, uh, just all kinds of things that were going on. But if you had another stream of income or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight streams of income, when one slows down, the other picks up. And so that's really what you want to build in, having some type of for-profit um, for um, arm or entity, some business um, entity, business to business perhaps for your nonprofits. And for those that are your resellers, having additional streams of income that are coming into their business at all times.
0: The nonprofit, can you give some of our nonprofit people some uh, ideas of what they can do to generate income? I know we have a lot of clothing resellers. We have a couple of largest players on uh, the e-commerce sites. Is there anything else other than resale that you would recommend?
1: You know, it, it really depends on what their market and their level of expertise is. So, you know, they may, they may focus on, on say textiles, clothing, and then they may decide, well, I'll do, you know, books or I'll do computer products or, uh, or, or, you know, I've got a hobby. I love to make candles. I love, mm-hmm. you know, wood, uh, wood wick, you know, candles and, and they can have that as a, as a side business um they may decide to do have a podcast in which they can have some dollars coming in from their podcast or have some other type of social media uh channels such as a youtube channel or instagram those things are take a little more time Mm -hmm. uh, and they they grow slowly but it, it does grow and so you can look at those kinds of entities they may also go into partnership with someone um you know say they do need a warehouse and you know, but they don't need one as large as they have. And so they may rent uh, a portion of that warehouse out and use the portion that they need for their business. Well, that rent that they're getting is income that's coming into the business on a monthly basis.
0: Smart, smart. I love the diversification thing. It should help a lot of people out, especially because of COVID now. Uh, Kind of jumping in the next question, but especially because of COVID now, uh, how has the, how has the COVID, how has markets um, because of COVID changed, especially for you?
1: You know, for us, um, being with, with Goodwill particularly, um, it changed in two different ways. You know, when we had a boom, I think every, every entity uh, around the country had a boom of donations. Why? Because people were at home. Mm-hmm. And they were at home, and it gave them an opportunity to clean out that closet that they haven't had an opportunity to do clean out the attic, their basement, et cetera. So donations just flooded in and it was just, you know, absolutely wonderful. Uh, the other change, and of course, we there are good rules in every single state. Some states, because of their state regulations, weren't able to open as quickly as others. So of course, you know, you had a stall in the business. But uh, in case your readers don't know, uh, many of us do operate on an e-commerce platform and it's called shopgoodwill.com. And so we were still able to operate for the most part um, on our e-commerce platform. And that helped because again, what did it do? It's diversification. And yep. it's solely on the in-store sales. You know, so you still had a little bit of income coming in uh, through that platform.
0: And then, like, uh, what do you think the resale is going to be like? We can de- we're definitely gonna jump into the e commerce question in a second. Um, uh, you, made a, you made a couple of great points. Um, but what do you think the physical resale market is going to happen in the next few years? Like, do you think it's going to get disrupted or continues to get disrupted or, or kind of give us that five year projection?
1: Oh, wow. You know, I need a crystal ball here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's really hard to see. You know, I, I think initially, I think initially we're going to see a big boom because people are eager to get out and shop and be able to touch and feel things. Um, But I think there's still another opportunity um, for the e-commerce market because individuals who are not comfortable shopping online became comfortable with shopping online. So I think, you know, I'm hoping that there's not going to be a huge disruptor. Um, People still want to go inside. People still want to try on stuff. They still want to touch it. They still want to have the experience and so that's something that's really key for any business. Um, there was a study several years ago about the experience of retail, and it doesn't matter what the retail is. It doesn't matter if you're if you're selling shoes or you're selling cell phones. People want to have some type of experience. They want it to be a, a good experience. They want to be able to have selection, but they want some kind of experience. And so we've, you know, often have tried to do that in my stores, you know, having events and having contests and making it a friendly, you know, happy, bright environment to give people that kind of experience. And, you know, at the end of the day, customer service is always key, Mm -hmm. you know, just make sure that you've got great customer service. Um, and let me tell you something. I don't care whether you're running a hotel, a restaurant or e-commerce or anything all of that has really suffered a little bit with customer service because we're all wearing masks and so it's hard to see a smile Mm -hmm. underneath a mask so you have to make sure that your your uh, staff um, really exudes that happiness and that joy to see that customer whether they're talking to them online in a chat or whether they're answering a telephone or whether they're coming into a physical location and they can only see their
0: eyes I like that. I like that. And in terms of the events, are the events more just to get people through the door so you guys can, or is it to create a community buzz?
1: A little bit of both. Um, you know, we, we started doing some, um, fashion shows, uh, to really okay. get people into the stores and commute and create that community buzz. Uh, and we did a few of those in the stores. And then in 2019, we actually uh, took it out of the store because it had grown so large. And we had our gala, our first gala, which was super fun, Um, and so it was just so much fun, but of course we couldn't do it last year because of COVID. So we're trying to think of new ideas for this year, perhaps, not sure what that's going to look like um, or whether or not we'll be able to come back together, but maybe some type of virtual event might be in the future for us.
0: No, i I, lo- I love the fashion show because uh, we've seen the trends especially in like the gen z like it, the renew recycle mentality is starting to pop so you you, you kind of hit on top of it and trends always come back too so you, like stuff you have in your stores are are coming back it's it's, it's, a, it's a nice little cycle I, I'm smart and really i like that i like that
1: you know that that's been really cool to see because we had a casting call. For uh, fashion models, we use many of our, our staff as well as our consumers, our program participants. But we also, you know, had individuals to come in and do a casting call, and a lot of them were young people who really wanted to get into fashion or design or modeling, and they had never shopped at a Goodwill, and it was so much fun to see them go through the store and be absolutely floored by the value and the clothing that they could get. And they were like, uh, "This is Goodwill." You know, and I invite people to look at our, our website. It's GoodwillEastTexas.com. GoodwillEastTexas.com. Look at our website and look at our Facebook. We have a fabulous um, merchandiser and he handles not only our fashion shows, but he also does our window displays and, um, you know, and our store displays. And it's just absolutely wonderful. And he has that artistic eye. Um, so it really gives a very fresh and, and young look to our stores. I tell people all the time, I'm not running your
0: grandma's Goodwill. <laughs> nice. Nice. I love it, Kimberly. I love it. Uh, uh, yeah, we, there's so many things we to touched on. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it a little bit. We have six minutes left. Um, let's, let's jump into the e-commerce. So, um, other than you guys bringing uh, items out to your shop, Goodwill, what is, how's e-commerce impacting your business? Uh, in let's say the, the last, uh, five to six years, other than like that shop, Goodwill?
1: Um, you know, we've grown it. We've, we have, for us, we have just kind of narrowed in on what really sells well for us. Um, we don't do a lot of clothing on our particular site. We kind of keep that in the stores. And so our, our focus is really on collectibles, um, on items that you might not find easily in the stores. And sometimes it's kind of strange things. <laughs> so, you know, those things that it's like, hmm, okay that's odd. Okay, I like it, you know. Uh, But really, that's kind of where we're focusing in on. But I know that, you know, a lot of people are shopping more and more um, online, with textiles, as well as the home decor, collectibles, and even everyday items, you know. Um, So, you know, we're going to be looking at that to see, you know, what are the trends right now? And where do we need to move going forward?
0: I love it. And in the next ten years, uh, we kind of already jumped on this as well. Like, uh, will e-commerce? Are you guys going to go more e-commerce, or will still be that fifty-fifty split for goodwill? Do you think, at least?
1: I, you know, I think I think everyone is going to probably do more e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't, you know. My intention is not to to slow down on my stores by yep. any means, but I think uh, because we have done such a great job of getting in some really quality donations, we have a lot more to choose from uh so we have more product that we can put online so you know expect to see more e-commerce from goodwill
0: Awesome. And then kind of on that, like uh, the e-commerce that's processing side, a lot of our, like that medium-sized uh, reseller has a hard time processing through inventory. Do you have any tips or any tricks for them to process, especially clothing resellers? I know like that's maybe a reason why like it's so hard to get up online. A lot of them are having that uh, struggle to process through the mass amount of inventory they have.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's just a beast. <laughs> You know, it's a beast and it's just part of the business model. You know, it takes time. There's no quick way to do it. There's no faster way to do it other than, you know, just training your people to do it well or whoever is doing that um, for you. There's no kind of magic bullet. You know, when you're dealing with things that are not clothing, um, you know, it's a little bit easier. We see people in a store suit all the time. They come in, they take a picture, they do a search, you know, Mm -hmm. really quickly um, with, with a vase, for example. Um, That's a little easier, particularly if you know who the maker is. You flip the bottom up and you can tell who the maker is, or at least where it was sold. It's a lot easier and quicker to figure out, oh, okay, well, this vase, you know, uh, is really a a $200 vase. And I can get it for $5.99. So I I know what my profit margin is going to be. For clothing, you have to look at everything. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to look at the collar. You have to look at, you know, does it have any rips, tears, stains? Does it have all the buttons there? You know, um, is it sized properly? You know, those kinds of things. And when you put it online, you have to measure and, you know, make sure that you you are presenting it as accurately as possible. And that
0: takes time. Definitely. And is there any good tips? Because uh, I know a lot of our customers, especially, uh, both shop on Goodwill.com, uh, Goodwill, ShopGoodwill.com and in their stores. Is there any tips and tricks you'd say anything that resellers could do uh, to uh, make some money at Goodwill?
1: You know, I don't, I don't really know. Um, and I know that we have a good number of resellers who are our customers. You know, I think, uh, what I've seen is they all kind of have their own specialty, you know, stick to what your specialty is, stick to what, you know, you know, don't venture out and buy a whole bunch of stuff that you don't know anything about and you don't even know if you can sell it or you have the market for it. Um, so, you know, some people, I know some retail resellers, uh, only buy golf clubs
0: mm-hmm.
1: or golfing you know, golfing equipment, some only buy men's shirts, you know, um, and they're looking for designer men's shirts, they're looking for certain name brands. Um, You know, some are are individuals who have multiple businesses, like a lot of interior designers. They're not necessarily resellers, they may resell something, but they're using it to sell to their customer uh, when they are staging their home. So that's kind of a different market as well. So they're looking for specific things. They're looking for the shape of something. They're looking uh, for something that has a certain, pati- a particular look. Um, so really it's about your knowledge and what your audience is looking for.
0: I love, it, I, I, it kind of hits the same topic of the fashion, right, the fashion models. If people go in looking for that particular piece that's gonna ma- like hit their uh, that, that, that room, that like be the accent piece. I love that, I love that, cool. Yeah. Um, Other than that, um, first off, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Everybody on this, uh, make sure you check out Motivational Muse is on uh, all your major um, podcasting areas as well. Uh, Again, Kimberly, thank you for joining us. And uh, again, have a great rest of your week. Thank you,
1: Tom. I enjoyed it.